Hey everyone, it is late at night and I am Norman. Welcome to the third episode of the Late Night Watch Talk podcast. It's been a little while since I've done the last episode and that is kind of my opening story. So I just got back from San Diego celebrating my anniversary with my wife and just before I left I was going to do this episode. However, right up until the last day, the day before we left, I felt like I had been run over by a flu tank. I had fevers and chills and whatnot. It was quite a bit terrifying. So I had to get tested to make sure that I didn't have the virus. And fortunately, I did not. And I lucked out. The day that we left, I was actually feeling quite a bit better. So we were able to go after all. And now I'm back and ready to do this episode. Before I begin, what is on my wrist? I am wearing a vintage 1980s Ricoh watch. I had never heard of this brand, and even after I encountered it and purchased it, I've done some searching and haven't found a whole lot on it. There's a forum entry that mentions that at one point it was kind of on par with brands like Citizen. Apparently this is a Japanese brand and this thing is just phenomenal. It's a dress watch. It's super thin. I think it's like five millimeters maybe. It is a square cased watch with curving sides to it. It has batten markers and Dauphine hands. It is a quartz watch, and it's a three-hander, so you can see the seconds hand ticking, but it just looks absolutely amazing. It has a black dial, and the branding on it is in a gray, so it's really, really subtle. The markers are chrome, the hands are chrome, and the case itself is a chrome color. And apparently it has a sapphire crystal on it, so... It's a really small watch, too. It's completely vintage size. I absolutely love it. So I ordered a Rios Shell Cordovan strap for it. And once that arrives, I'll be putting it on there. I'm super excited for that. So recently, I sent off my friend's watches that he lent me, the Rolex Explorer and the two vintage Omegas that he owns. The Seamaster DeVille, the Don Draper watch, and the Gold Tone Constellation. And before I shipped those off, I did a video on the Rolex Explorer. Because, as I mentioned, I love that aesthetic. And I was kind of pondering how I could add a watch with that aesthetic to my collection. Currently, the Rolex isn't one of my Grail watches, and it's not cheap. So I was pondering alternatives that were more affordable so I can get the look, the aesthetic, without having to spend a ton of money on it. Maybe at some point in the future, that'll be a grail watch, but right now, it really isn't. I'd much rather be saving for a Reverso or um, a Chrono Tokyo or a Pole Router or something. But one of the alternatives that crossed my mind was the Smith's Everest. And I've since made two attempts to pick one up. And that kind of leads me into the first topic. And that is some of the worst business models ever. 
And I know that this isn't isolated to the watch industry. I'm sure there are plenty of industries that have horrible, miserable business models, but certainly the watch industry is definitely guilty of it. So tonight I want to discuss three of them and my suggestions for how to improve the experience for customers and allow people to get watches that they're after. So we'll dive right into that. Uh, the first example of a terrible business model is the AD model. And Rolex fans out there, you know exactly what I'm talking about, where you have to suck up to an AD for years, buying pieces and items that you're not even interested in to try and get in their good graces so that hopefully you can end up on a wait list, a wait list of years just sitting there waiting for the watch that you're actually after. What a miserable, horrible business model. And of course, there's talk that the wait lists are kind of uh, drummed up, that they aren't necessarily real or they're driven by intentional supply shortages. I haven't dug into all of that, so I really have no comment on that. But the idea that you have to purchase stuff that you're not even interested in just to try and get on a crazy wait list is absolutely ridiculous. Another business model that drives me crazy are small runs. And usually these are watches that no one is going to be able to afford. I mean, these are like ultra millionaire watches. And they'll come out with small runs like 20 pieces worldwide. And what's crazy about this is the watches are put up on websites as though they're any other watch for sale. But no one's going to get those. I mean, 20 pieces worldwide, that's just craziness. And there's even more accessible watches that also do this. And one of those is Corona Tokyo. And it kind of bleeds into the next topic as well. But they do like, what is it, 200 pieces. And they're so sought after, good luck getting your hands on one. But to make things worse, that brand also adheres to the third category of horrible business models. And that is what I refer to as the Black Friday model, where you hype up an upcoming piece that is very limited and you only have a small window of opportunity to pick it up. So in the case of Corona Tokyo, you have 200 pieces. They're going to be going for up for sale at a given date. And once that happens, everyone is going to be scrambling for those watches and most of you, pretty much all of you, are not going to get one. And uh, there's no hope to get one. And a brand that's even worse about this, and this is the brand that, that really brought up this topic, and, and my mention of the Everest and my attempts for that kind of brought me to this. And that is Time Factors. And what a sad situation there. I mean... It, as far as I understand, it's a one-guy operation, and he owns brands like Smith's, a super sought-after, super respected brand, and apparently they're being made in super small batches, and it absolutely adheres to the Black Friday model. 
So the Everest has been out of stock for quite a while, and recently a newsletter went out saying that it was going to be back in stock and the Time Factor store was going to be open. Now when I say the store is going to be open, if you've never encountered this, it opens for a half an hour, and you have to scramble to try and get the watch you're after. And in this case, being the Everest, this is a highly sought-after watch. And I don't know how many are produced, but it isn't much. It definitely isn't enough for this particular piece. And I don't understand why such small runs are being done. I mean, uh, you, you own Smiths. I mean, if you can't keep up with the, even remotely keep up with the demand, sell the company to someone who can, because we're talking about Smiths. This is not a micro brand somewhere or an upstart. This is a super respected brand. So anyway, where I live, the site opens at six in the morning. And for me personally, that is wicked early. As you all know, if you listen to this podcast or watch my videos, I am a night owl. I'm up super late every night. And so getting up at six is actually a big deal. So when the store was open with the Everest for sale, I got up at 5.45 or so in the morning and I loaded up the web browser, went to the Everest, and I started hitting refresh on the web browser literally every second. And six o'clock comes, nothing. I keep on hitting refresh until 6.08 at that point, the Add to Cart button shows up. So I click it. I have a watch in my cart. I'm filling out my address. I click to uh, enter my payment information. And all of a sudden, my cart's empty and the watch is out of stock. And that drove me absolutely nuts. And I was just frustrated. And a few weeks later, another newsletter went out. There's still some, there's some more Everests for sale. And the store is going to be opening again. So I got up at again at 5.45 in the morning and pulled up the site. This time, I had created an account. So I don't have to enter my address information. I, could just, I just made sure that I was logged in minutes before 6. That way it doesn't time out. And all my address information could be pre-populated. I could go right to the payment. And I started hitting refresh every second, and 6 o'clock comes and goes, still nothing. I keep on hitting refresh until about 6.04, and at that point, I hit refresh, and there was no Add to Cart button. It simply said they were out of stock, and I was livid. So was my brother. He was actually going for one as well, and we couldn't figure out how other people were able to purchase some since the button never even showed up. It was just immediately out of stock. And I was thinking about it the other day and it dawned on me where I live, I will never get an Everest because I'm pretty sure what's happening is the Time Factors website gets updated so that the store is activated, but it takes minutes before that's propagated to where I live. So that would explain why nothing was showing up at 6 o'clock. It showed up at 6.08 the first time and 6.04 the second time. So for four minutes, 
people in other places of the world are able to purchase Everest watches while I'm sitting there waiting for the website to update and allow me to do it. So I'm never going to get one because the website will never be propagated in time for me to add one to my cart. Absolutely maddening. So what can be done about these terrible business models? In regards to the AD business model, I feel like brands really need to rein in the ADs. I mean, watch brands out there. This reflects on you. When people are having to jump through hoops for ADs just to try and get on a list for your watch, that is a horrible, horrible experience for customers. And you're lucky you have a name like Rolex because... I feel like if you were a lesser brand, people would just ditch you because it's ridiculous. Um, And I feel like reigning in ADs would be good for you. It would improve people's experience. They could get on waiting lists without having to buy stuff they don't want. And maybe the waiting lists are crazy in their years, and that part's horrible. But at least it's straightforward and honest, hopefully at least in regards to the AD portion of it. And for small batch run watches, uh, why not just list those as curiosity pieces and downplay the whole store aspect of it? You know, showcase the phenomenal watches that you create. Yeah, there's only 20 models of them, but downplay the store and play up the watches themselves. So yeah, maybe we will never be able to purchase one or see one in the flesh, but we can admire them online and drool over them and talk about them in videos and podcasts and whatnot. And for the Black Friday model, there's a couple ideas that I have. And the first one is to ditch that model completely and quietly update your site when you have batches done. That way people who are really after your watch and obsessively checking your website, they actually have a chance to get it because it's not announced. And so there isn't a huge crowd of people scrambling to get those watches like it's Black Friday or something. Breaking down store doors and running over one another, fighting and just going crazy. It's just quietly updated And when they're sold out, then it shows that they're sold out. But maybe a week later, you get another batch. And the few people that are just constantly checking your website, all of a sudden, poof, there's an add to cart button. And secondly, in cases like that, I say alter your online shop. If someone successfully adds a watch to their cart, tweak it. It doesn't have to work like other shopping sites that that will just steal it out of your cart if someone else gets to it before you, if they fill out their information and finalize their order before you do. So when you add a watch to your shopping cart, lock that in. And if you haven't completed your purchase within, I don't know, five minutes or something, then have the cart time out and then the watch is available again. But if you've successfully added the watch to your cart, that's yours. You can take your time and fill out your address information, your payment info, and all that stuff. And time factors. You need to change your business model. This is ridiculous. Like, so many people in the world will never be able to buy sought-after watches because 
the website simply won't propagate to them in time. They'll already be sold out by the time the store is active for those people. And even worse, you are creating a bloated flippers market. So the very next day after my second attempt to get an Everest, I went on eBay and I created a search for the Everest because I figured I realized that they sell for over retail on eBay. But if they're reasonable and they're new or like new, I may just go that route. And so I did the search, saved it, and was going through the results. And some guy out there went and bought one of every colorway of the Everest, because you're limited to one per customer, and he's selling them on eBay for $1,200. $1,200. These are $400 watches, and he's selling them for $1,200. Absolutely ridiculous. And this guy's just great. I uh, made an offer for $700, and he came back to me with a counteroffer of $1,200. So it was up for sale for $1,249, and his counteroffer was $1,200. I just about responded to him laughing out loud and saying, dude, this is a $400 watch. You're ridiculous. And I really, really hope that no one out there buys these. Do not pay $1,200 for a $400 watch. You are completely bloating the market price for those watches. These are $400. And the only reason people are able to put them on eBay for $1,200 is because Time Factors makes it so difficult to get these watches that some desperate person out there might actually pay that. It's all, all around just absolutely horrible. Horrible. It's a crime. Like, it's an abuse of the brand. Seriously. Like, if you can't handle Smith's, you need to sell it to somebody who can. Because this is just terrible. So, when my brother and I are sitting there at 6 in the morning, trying to get one of these watches because we actually like them and want to add them to our collection and wear them, some jerk out there was buying one of each, each different colorway, knowing full well he's just going to turn around and flip them for a crap ton of money. So absolutely lame. What a lame business model. Sorry for all the venting and stuff, but this has been driving me nuts ever since that experience. And it really has me thinking because one watch that I was super excited about is the Smith's Pole Router watch. It looks just like a pole router. It's a little bit larger than the originals. It's at like 38 millimeters, which is strange because the other Smith's watches are 36. I'm not sure why this one isn't a more vintage size, but it looks just like a pole router. It has no date. It has the cool um, section dial and Dauphine hands and everything. And surely it's going to be affordable because most of their watches are actually very accessible. But this is already being promoted and announced that it's going to be available at the end of the year. There's no way I'm going to get one. None. By the time I could add it to my cart, they will be sold out. And they'll probably be on eBay for at least $1,000. So I'm going to have to rethink that. I have a better chance of saving and scraping and just getting an actual pole router which is sad because I was excited about the prospect of getting 
what is essentially a pole router, but with modern advances in watchmaking, like a sapphire crystal, a brand new movement in it, so it may be nice and accurate for years to come, and I don't have to deal with a vintage watch that's like, I mean, their prices are skyrocketing. I see them on Chrono 24 for three, four, five thousand dollars now. I uh, used to see them for one or two, sometimes three, but man, they are really going up. So that would have to be a Grail watch, and it's a vintage watch. So when it arrives, it's likely not going to be terribly accurate. It's just very, very frustrating. And these are just miserable business models. And surely there's a better way of handling high demand and low supply in a, in a way that's friendlier to um, customers. I mean, we're watch nerds out here. We love watches and you make it impossible for us to get them. Like absolutely impossible. So that is my ranting and venting and uh, surely I'm going to be doing more on social media and just trying to get the time factor guy's attention because if it doesn't change there's just there's just no hope for anyone who's in a location where the website updates don't get to them right away um but speaking of vintage i just about snagged a no date vintage omega seamaster deville the dawn draper watch but without a date which is perfect for me that's my only beef with the ones that have date is is i would prefer them to not have that it won't that way it doesn't interrupt the awesome crosshairs on the dial and it just is nice and minimal and clean i love it this watch was an auction and the starting bid i think the base price was 500 I want to say four or 500 and at first I thought that it might be a Franken watch because or I mean they all kind of are but I thought that this might be um, basically an Omega dial put on a different vintage watch because the case back was plain so so it was a sterile case back it didn't have the um, usual logo imagery on there. However, my friend who owns the Don Draper and lent me those watches was poking around and realized that it probably was uh, actual Omega parts because they did produce those watches with sterile case backs on them. And so I put in a bid and that was right before I left for San Diego. So here and there while I was away... I was kind of keeping my eyes on the auction and I looked at it at night and it was still, it, it was getting really close to ending and there was a few bids in there, but it was still around $500 and I was super stoked because for that price, I would totally go for it. So the next day I had planned on pulling it up and placing another bid and upping my max bid and hopefully getting that watch. However, I didn't realize that the auction ended as early as it did. So when I logged on, it had already ended and the watch sold for super cheap. I think it was, I want to say it was under 600 bucks. I totally could have snagged that 
had I realized that the auction ended earlier than I thought it did. But I have that search saved on eBay, so I'm going to be keeping my eyes open for another instance like that. And, I mean, man, that would be crazy. That's half of what they typically go for. Hilariously, they typically sell for about the price that our lovely flipper friend is trying to uh, sell the Everest for. So hopefully at some point in the future, I may actually secure a Don Draper watch. That would be awesome. But that whole adventure there with the Don Draper got me thinking, you know, for the right price, if we're talking about vintage, I almost don't even care how Franken a watch is. Because I feel like vintage watches, unless it's something like a Rolex or something, where they the movements really have staying power, I feel like being a vintage dress watch kind of levels the playing field. Um, like the experience of the Don Draper isn't that drastically different to the experience that I have with my sub $100 Palliots. The movement definitely feels way better on the Omega, like when you're winding it, but as far as accuracy, they're very much the same. They are both wildly inaccurate. And the styling of the watches are actually kind of similar. They have that great mid-century dress watch style to them. So I was thinking, you know, even if I did find a watch that had the Omega dial, that awesome Don Draper dial on it, and I suspect that the case and other parts might not even be Omega parts, but they have the look I don't know if I mind if the watch is selling for three, four, five hundred dollars because you get that amazing aesthetic. Now, of course, if this was a full on grail watch for me, I mean, it's kind of on the cusp of that. But if it was a full on grail watch, of course, I would want something that is as intact as possible or at least comprised completely. 100% of Omega parts, but a watch that I love and would like to have aesthetically and whatnot, but not necessarily willing to pay 1200 bucks for it. I feel like if it's a vintage dress watch, I don't really mind if, if it's highly Frankenwatch style. In fact, I've actually kind of pondered maybe at some point practicing watch servicing and stuff on inexpensive watches, you know, collecting tools, uh, getting all the stuff that I need to disassemble a watch and clean it and put it back together and regulate it, and practicing on like PAL yachts and other inexpensive vintage watches, and perhaps at some point putting together the parts for a pull router either getting a beat old one or tracking down a dial and a case and just kind of gathering the pieces and make basically making a Franken pull router for myself. Um, even, even if it maybe doesn't even have a pull router movement in it, if there's another movement that fits in there, maybe a new movement even. Ooh, I mean, I realize that's sacrilege, but... It would be amazing to have a watch that looks 100% pull router, but has an awesome, like, accurate movement in it, something new, maybe even a sapphire box crystal on it or something, but it looks just like a vintage pull router. I don't even care. 
that would be amazing to have in the collection. And that would probably get a ton of wrist time. But then again, if I were able to do that, I could get a beat up old affordable pole router and try and service it myself, clean it up, maybe replace the crystal and some other components. So it's fairly, it's in fairly good shape. That would be fun. So I'm slowly putting together a list of tools that I need. Uh, I watched a couple great YouTube videos done by people that I trust and have watched a bunch of their videos. And they list the tools that they suggest, you know, the bare minimum that you would need to disassemble service and reassemble a watch. And so I'm putting together a shopping list and I'm going to slowly start collecting uh, tools and maybe, who knows, maybe I'll play around with that and see what happens. That would be, it would be, if nothing else, it would be super fun to be able to do that. And being a watch nerd, kind of like being a car nerd, it would be really good to have an idea uh, or somewhat of an ability to service the items that you love and collect. Last time that I spoke, if I remember correctly, I had talked about the Seiko Ultra Slim Tank Watch. At that point in time, I had ordered a black dial one, and what I received was a blue dial. And I contacted the seller, and it sounded like he was going to send me a black dial, but I really haven't heard back from him. So I kind of let that go because it was $20, and instead I went on and I bought a black dial one, another one, and the silver dial one, or white dial, whatever it ends up being. I think it's silver. And the black dial one has arrived, and it is so amazing. What a difference between the blue and the black dial. In some photographs, the blue is very, very bright. And when you're wearing it, it is definitely blue. You know, there are some dials out there where they're blue dials, but they almost look black. This one definitely looks blue. And unfortunately, I don't really have a whole lot of outfits that kind of match a blue dial on there. I typically wear shades, so grays and blacks. And blue just kind of is too close to dark gray or black. And at the time, all I had was black straps for it, and that just made it look worse. When the black dial one arrived, it was on a mesh bracelet. And it, not only that, it was a tapered mesh bracelet, which is so great. It's not very good quality. I mean, these are $20 watches. I don't know what they retailed for originally, but they're Seiko also. So the mesh bracelet is pretty cheap, but it does look good. And I put it on the blue dial, and that made that watch look absolutely amazing. And I think with that uh, bracelet on there, I could probably pull that watch off with some of my summer shirts and whatnot. So kind of breathed new life into that watch. And the black one, I currently put on a really nice shell cordova strap that I have that doesn't really fit on the watches that I own. A vast majority of my watches are 18 millimeters. Uh, in lug width and this is 20 so perfect I put it on there and it looks absolutely amazing and that watch was getting quite a bit of wrist time until the Ricoh arrived uh, because side by side 
the Rico looks so much more elegant, so much more refined. It's thinner and a little bit smaller, mainly because it's square and kind of curves. Uh, so it wear it wears larger and yet smaller at the same time. It's really strange. But this watch looks so great that I haven't really worn the Seiko much, but I I love those watches. And for twenty dollars, that is absolutely amazing. What a what a killer deal! And they aren't terribly hard to find. If you go on eBay and just start searching around for dress Seiko watches or men's dress Seiko watches, stuff like that, you're going to probably stumble upon them. And from what I've seen, they're all around 20 bucks. I think some are even less. But yeah, if you like smaller, vintage style, dressy tank watches, definitely go for these. I'm going to have to uh, discuss them in a future uh, tank dress tank watches video that I do for sure, because these are just just amazing looking watches. And speaking of amazing watches, I recently stumbled upon, again on eBay, currently my favorite place to shop, uh, I recently stumbled upon an unworn Swatch Turquoise Bay watch. Now this is actually new old stock, so the original battery had sat in it, and it leaked all over, and the seller was kind enough to mention this to me because you couldn't see that in photographs, in the photographs that were taken for the listing. But he mentioned that that was the case and sent me some photos of it. And it looked like all of the battery acid was in the hatch, the battery hatch that goes on the back there. None of it appeared to be inside the watch itself. And so I told him, you know, if you just take a battery and... and just set it in the watch. If it ticks, I will totally buy it. Even though it was a bit more expensive than even what turquoise bays go for. And those are expensive for swatches. But this one being unworn and stuff, I would totally go for it. And a few days later, I got a message back from the seller. He actually took it into a swatch shop and had the guy change out the battery. And then he sent me a video of the watch ticking so that I could see it in action. What an amazing eBay seller. So I purchased it. It is not going to be here for quite a while. I think it's slated to arrive early October, but I'm super excited to see that watch. I have not seen a Turquoise Bay watch since like, and it's cracking me up every time I say that, Bay watch. <laughs> uh, I have not seen a Turquoise Bay since uh, middle school, I think, when I borrowed one from a friend. I had to have borrowed it because I no longer have it and surely would have kept that swatch around longer than my other swatches. But super excited for the Turquoise Bay. That is, that's one of my all-time favorite swatches. Uh, the Blue Bay is also amazing. But uh, yeah, the Turquoise Bay. And that reminds me, the deluge is coming. So over the past few months, I've kind of been on an eBay kick where whenever I'm sitting around not really doing much, I will go through my saved searches on eBay and just kind of see what's out there. I've got to search for vintage quartz watches because after encountering a couple of these, that is so great to get like 
If you find an affordable, amazing-looking vintage watch in its quartz, it just behaves like a new watch. So I have a search saved for that and a bunch of other vintage stuff like uh, vintage Certinas, Hamiltons, Palliots, of course, and stuff like that. And so I'll just go through all of my saved searches and see what's out there. And that's how I stumbled upon the Rico and the Turquoise Bay and the Masonic watch, which is coming. And that one's nice and creepy looking. Actually, that one was supposed to arrive the other day, but the tracking still isn't even showing up. The tracking information, it's not showing up on the you uh, on the Postal Service site. So I reached out to the seller, but haven't heard back from him yet. I may have to bug him again. That one wasn't terribly expensive, so I'm not super stressed about it. But it would be nice to actually receive the watch. So I will be bugging him. Um, but everything that's arriving... Uh, for the most part, is super affordable. You know, another one of those $20 Seiko tank watches. Although there is one watch, and I've talked about it before numerous times, that I'm super excited to receive, and it should be here, I think, September or October, and that is the Serica. That is the one watch that is not affordable. It's uh, definitely like low, mid-tier level watch but i cannot wait to see that in the flesh that is going to be absolutely amazing and hopefully the one dive watch that stays in my watch collection as i spoke about in an earlier episode and i think very well think it might um it is just absolutely amazing looking so I have burned through all of the topics that I had put together for this episode, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. It's been great talking to you guys. Again, I am sorry about all the venting. It is so amazingly frustrating to go for a watch that is that should be completely accessible. I mean, it's a tool watch. It's in a line of watches that is well-respected and, yeah, sought after, but these are $400 watches. I don't understand why large batches aren't being produced so that people can get them. When you look at similar watches within this price range, they're easily accessible, and I feel like Smith should be far more accessible to people than it is. Uh, So it's been driving me nuts, And I thank you for being patient and listening to my rants about that. And I do wish Time Factors well, but man, please change your business model so that Smith's lovers out there can actually get their hands on some of these more sought-after watches like the Everest. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll chat with you guys in the next episode.